Well, we're continuing on here in our journey through the book of James. The title of our sermon series, if you're joining us here for the first time, is Putting Feet to Our Faith. We've said that of all the books in the New Testament, that the book of James was probably the earliest written book of the New Testament, and it's probably the most practical as well, as uh, the things written in the book of James are simple, but they're not easy. And as we continue that theme of simple but not easy, we're going to be talking today about understanding and embracing the goodness of God in the hardest of times. The title of our message here today uh, is exactly one of the songs that we sang, God is so good. God is so good. But before we do that, I want to give you something to think about. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this in your heart, and I want you to really question yourself if this is you. Because I believe if we're being honest with ourselves... This is us. Have you had a trial in your life that has ever caused you to doubt the goodness of God? Have you experienced a tragedy? Have you experienced a trial? Have you experienced a temptation where there was a season that you just struggled to believe that God was good? If, if you have, let me tell you something. You're human, okay? You're human because we live in a broken world. And that brokenness is, is around us all the time. We're reminded of it every day. I know as a, as a pastor, and even in the past week, I've spent a significant amount of time at funeral homes and hospitals. I'm reminded of the brokenness that, that sin has brought into the world. And so sometimes we do question the goodness of God. But I pray as we walk through this passage that we'll begin to understand why although God does enable us from time to time to beat on His chest and ask certain questions, that the goodness of God is something that we shouldn't question because there's nothing but goodness that comes straight from the hand of our Lord. And before we dive into the Word, I just want to open up with, a, with, a, with an image and a thought in your mind that, that I can't get out of mine. So I share with you some of the mission work that my wife and I had a chance to do in El Salvador uh, with the church we were at in North Carolina. We had a chance to go there for a week. I think it was in 2014. And Ashley worked in vacation Bible school. And I had a chance to preach a, a several-day revival. And we worked with several churches in El Salvador. We were in a very poor area. Um, but of all the images that I could think of, there's just a few that just stick in my mind. I remember a, a man of the village named Leo. Leo had chronic kidney problems. His face remained gray. He had no color in him whatsoever. He could barely walk, and yet he would walk three miles one way to go to church. And he would do it with a smile on his face in the midst of trial proclaiming the goodness of God. I remember the pastor of that church in Nuevo Guadalupe. His name was Pastor Ezekiel. He did not speak English, and I did not speak Spanish. So we didn't have a whole lot to talk about without an interpreter, which we had an interpreter half the time. But you, you can be in the presence of someone, not even understanding their language, but you can experience the humility and the poorness of spirit, which is what he had. He had this small rural church in the middle of El Salvador, and yet he, he led those people with love and with humility. And from what I understood, he endured quite a few trials, but he did it with joy. But let me tell you, the one image and the one sound that I can't get out of my head. One of the nights that we were there, Ashley and I went into this house. The house did not even have a roof on it. Okay, the walls were made of tin. And the ground was made of dirt. And as we walked into this living room, there was no furniture in there. There was just a hammock. And the hammock was tied from one side of the room all the way to the other. And in the hammock were several young boys swinging back and forth, smiling and laughing as if they had all the riches in the world. 
and I saw the mother look at one of the boys and, and, and talk to him in Spanish, and then he broke out in song, and he sang probably the only words that he knew in English. And I just remember those words. He said, God is so good. God is so good. He's swinging back and forth in the hammock. God is so good. He's so good to me. And I just, I remember everyone just weeping. I mean, this kid didn't have $5 to his name, didn't have a roof over his house. He only knew a certain few words in English, but the words that he did know in the midst of all that he didn't have, he knew what he did have in Jesus Christ. He knew that God is so good. And I believe that sometimes it's in the darkest places of our lives where the light of God will shine the very brightest. And that's what we're going to talk about here today as we continue in our study of the book of James. We're still in chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 8. Again, the title of our message is God is so good. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James chapter 1. If you don't, grab yourself a pew Bible. In our pew Bibles, it will be on page 1199. Okay, page 1199 in our pew Bibles, and if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, again, we're in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You again for this day. Father, I plead with You. There are people in this room who are here because they want to believe that You are good. And they are in so much pain and living in so much darkness that they can't see it. Father, I know that I am just an instrument. I am incapable of helping them see it except that I preach your word and that your word together with your spirit can enable them to see it. So, Father, I pray for those that do believe that God is good, that today would be a day as we consider the truth of your word, that they would be encouraged and even strengthened in their faith that God is good. But for those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, those that have never been covered in His precious blood, those that have not placed their saving faith in Him, those who have trouble seeing that you are good because they can't see the cross, like a fog, I pray that you lift it. Like dry bones, I pray that you give life. With hearts of stone, I pray you replace them with hearts of flesh. Let the next few moments be a a time of salvation, Father. Let us see that you are good. Let us know that you are good and let us rejoice in the fact that you are good. Help us now as we walk through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. Again, I want to say as we walk through the message here, it is a challenge many days of our lives to remember and, and claim the goodness of God when we experience things that are not good. 
but God is always good. And instead of just saying that, I want to show you in His Word why we can trust and believe that He is good all the time and in every way. So I want to share three things specifically as we walk through the text. And the first of those three things is this. Number one, God is so good because He stands by His promises. He stands by His promises. Look back at verse 12 with me. Keep your Bibles open. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now let's walk through this passage together, starting at the beginning of verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. We've been talking about this for weeks. That was the very beginning of James 1. You are going to face trials. It's not a matter of if, but when. And we said this as we were concluding our series in Jonah. Everyone in this room is either coming into a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're right smack dab in the middle of a storm. Whatever the case may be, God allows for those things to happen. They're divine appointments that God uses for His glory and for our good because in trusting Him through that storm, it strengthens our faith and we see His goodness in the darkness. And once again, James is hitting hard that idea of being steadfast, of persevering, of of remaining steadfast under that trial. And how do we do that? we got to get a glimpse of what lies ahead. we got to get a glimpse of the reward on the other side if we're able to remain faithful. What's the reward? Well, it says, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. What in the world is the crown of life? Well, as I've done research on this, I want to say the crown of life is not necessarily the royal crown that a king or a queen would wear, although those crowns are mentioned in the Scriptures. This is more like a wreath that is given to an athlete who has competed and won. Specifically in the New Testament, Paul talks about running a race. We see that in the book of Hebrews as well. And those who persevere through trials to complete that race and cross that finish line, God says you will in fact receive this crown of life. And that crown of life is the gift of eternal life. Now, I want to make a a statement and a clarification so that we don't confuse ourselves here. I believe this is talking about what, what Christians call the perseverance of the saints. Okay, That when God has you, when your heart has been changed by the gospel, when you are born again as a believer in Jesus Christ, are there seasons of life that you can backslide? I know that's a famous Southern Baptist word. And I want to say yes, backsliding is something that has happened to genuine Christians on the walk. However, even those backsliders have not abandoned the faith. They may be living in a, a season of sin where the Holy Spirit is dealing with them under deep conviction. But if you are truly a Christian, you will not fall away from the faith. You will not disown your Lord and Savior, but you will eventually persevere walking with the Lord and following that finish all the way, crossing the finish line and receiving the crown of life. That's the perseverance of the saints. And the secret to our joy in the midst of this is knowing what God has promised to us as we cross that finish line. All right, and that that promise is the gift, the blessing of eternal life. We talk all the time about God restoring to us the joy of His salvation. In the midst of when it is that we're struggling on this earth the most is the time that most of us forget what lies ahead. This world is to be enjoyed, certainly. 
that this world is to be pursued as God has a will for your life and for mine. And we've got work to do while we're here, but never even a day of our lives should we take our eyes off of what lies ahead, what God is preparing for those who love Him. And in the midst of that, there's joy. And why is there joy? Because I call it the classic win-win scenario. When things are not going good in the Christian life, I can say, praise God, there will be a day when He will wipe away every tear and I will not experience this type of pain anymore. And when things are going good, I can also say praise God because this is just a taste of what's to come. And do I doubt that that lies ahead? No, I don't. Even though I haven't seen it, I know the crown and the gift of life lie ahead because I believe in God's Word and I believe God stands on His Word. He is a God who, when He makes promises, will not go back on His promises. And if you look at the first words of Genesis to the last words of Revelation, you have a God who makes bold statements but is not afraid to back those statements up. That tomb is empty. Our Lord has risen. And He's preparing a place for those who love Him. And He's a God who stands on His promises. And because that, we know that we can say in any situation, no matter what God has allowed to happen to us, God is so good. He is so good. I would ask us before we move on to number two, as we just, we, we just look at our mind and our hearts and, and just ask ourselves, is there, is there a promise in Scripture that you're struggling to believe that God will bring to completion Or is there a situation in your life so painful that you can't believe right now that God's going to eventually lift you out of that situation? Know that God is good. He's not finished yet. You know, I heard a a Christian preacher one time say this. I know it sounds simple, but it's true. For believers in Jesus Christ, everything works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out yet, it's not the end yet. He's not finished yet. So number one, God is so good because He stands by His promises. Number two, God is so good because He cannot be tempted with evil. All right? Look back at verses 13 through 16. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. This is really important. I want you to really listen to this. God cannot tempt you with evil. Not now, not ever. Period. If there is a temptation that you have in your life, God did not put that temptation there. Now, God does not tempt, but God does test. And there's a difference. When God tests, he's, he's egging you on to righteousness. When the devil tempts, he is dragging you down to unrighteousness. God will not dangle sin over your face and, and look for you to see whether you're going to go after it or not. When you look at the very first sin in the garden... Yes, God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had a very specific plan for Adam, and he had a very specific plan for Eve. Adam was to tend the garden. Eve was to be his wonderful helpmate, and they were supposed to live in obedience. And as long as they were obedient, 
They would have experienced complete and total paradise in the garden. No death, no disease, no tears. God wasn't saying, I dare you to eat that. God was saying, trust me. I know what's best for you. You don't need that. You only need me. What did the devil say? God didn't really say that, did he? Do you know what's going to happen if you eat of that fruit? You're going to gain knowledge and be like God. Eat the fruit. Eat the fruit. You see the difference? There's the testing, will you be obedient? And there's the tempting, go ahead and do what God told you not to. God will not tempt you to sin. He will test you to be obedient. And there's a, that's just a big distinction there because what happens when we don't understand that is when we're tempted by sin, you know what we do? We put it on God. I mean, think about when Adam sinned. What did he do? He blamed Eve and God at the same time. He said, that woman you gave me, she did it. She made me do it. Not only was he blaming Eve, but he was really blaming God. He was saying, you could have found me a better mate that would not have been tempted the way Eve was because she made me weak. He was blaming God. But we do the same thing. I have heard some ridiculous excuses that people put on God. I'm going to share three of them with you. What I'm sharing with you is absolute truth. I'm not making this up. But this is utterly ridiculous. In the past month, I had a young man who I spoke with, and I asked him how he was doing. And he said he was struggling. I said, well, are you, are you in the Word? Are you in church? Are you being faithful to the Lord? Here's what he said to me. He says, every Saturday night I pray that God will get me up to go to church on Sunday. So when I wake up, if I'm not up in time, that's on God. That's not on me. I thought, my goodness gracious. I mean, seriously. Blaming God because he, did not, he was not his divine alarm clock. He did not get him up at the right time. And he didn't miss just one Sunday. He missed quite a few Sundays. Blaming God for the temptation that he had to sleep in at a time where God has ordained for us to worship him. All right, let me share another one with you. A couple of years ago, I was helping out at a vacation Bible school at a uh, church in North Carolina. And we took a break and we were outside talking and this one lady came out. She, was a, she really was a pillar in the church. She had been there 30 or 40 years. And she was taking a smoke break. She was out there smoking cigarettes and talking to me. And I didn't even say a word. I, would, I wasn't even condemning her. I just was sitting there talking with her. And she looked right at me and she said, You know, I've been asking God to take this away from me for 10 years. And until he shows up, that ain't on me. God is not responsible. Yes, do we pray for God to ask for help? Yeah. And are there tangible ways in which God can help us overcome the sins of our life? Yeah. Hey, listen, everybody in this room has a weakness. And I'm not casting stones. I pray all the time God helps me with certain things. But if I'm struggling with that, it's not on God. I'm not being tempted by God. All right, it's the devil, and sometimes it's just the weakness of my own sinful flesh. All right, let me tell you the third one. When I was a youth pastor, I had some teenagers tell me this. They had gone into a bedroom. They had turned down the lights. They had turned on country music. And then when they had desire overcome them, they prayed that God would help them to be faithful. And when they weren't, they wondered why God didn't answer their prayer. 
God says, you know what he says about temptation? Flee. Don't go in the room. Run. Stay away from things that will tempt you. Be faithful to God by not trying to stand up in the moment of temptation, but by not even going 10 feet near it. Flee temptation. Think about Joseph in the book of Genesis when Potiphar's wife was challenging him and trying to seduce him. What did he do? He ran. He didn't try to save face. He got out of there as fast as he could. He saw evil. He wanted no part of it. When we're tempted, sometimes we're going too far to the edge and we're flirting with the edge. Don't go to the edge. Stay far away from it and don't blame God because he cannot tempt you. Now look at what the scripture says in this passage. All right, as we as we talk about how it is that we eventually go from temptation to sin. All right, it says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death. All right, you got temptation. That temptation lures you to sin, and that sin eventually brings the penalty of death. And God's saying, don't go anywhere near it. All right? When I think about how Satan baits us, it's almost like fishing. All right? I know we got some fishermen in this room um, who are very successful at finding the right bait to get the fish that they want. I'll tell you what, I've been to a lot of brotherhood dinners and we never go hungry. All right, we've got fantastic fish fries at this church because we've got some talented fishermen who know how to lure the fish. Well, guess what? Satan has had thousands of years of practice in how to lure believers into seasons of sin. And how does he do it? Well, he baits the hook and he shows it to you. All right? And what, what he baits it with almost always is not bad in and of itself, but it's bad in the individual situation. Think about Adam and Eve. Is eating a fruit bad? No. But the fruit from a forbidden tree? Yes. All right, think about all the things that, you know, sleeping. Is it bad? No. But it's sleeping in at a time when you could be worshiping the Lord? Yes. All right? Romance? Bad? No. Outside the, you know, the bonds of marriage? Yes. What does God, what does Satan do? He takes something that God created as good and he intends for you to use it something that is not good. And he lures you in. You know, maybe another one is popularity. Is it a good thing to be well-liked? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you pursue that as an idol, that you will be exalted, you will be honored, you're getting lured into something that you're going to turn into sin. We need to remember this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If you're a note-taker, just write the verse down. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when you're in the middle of a temptation, and everybody in this room probably knows a time when you feel like you want to do something that you know you shouldn't do. No, first of all, God is not the one who tempted you. Number two, what you're being tempted with is common to mankind. There's nothing that you're being tempted with that mankind has not been tempted with for a very long time. And that as you are tempted, God's giving you a way of escape. There is a way out. And when you pray to the Lord, pray to the Lord for God to help you. When you see Him swing the door of assistance wide open, run through it. Whatever the case may be. You know, one of the things that, if you've never heard of it, is called the Jesus Prayer. 
This is especially prominent in third world countries where they don't have a lot of biblical literacy, but they, they pray these really short prayers, and it literally is, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Help me. Maybe you can't remember a verse. Maybe you can't even remember a nice long prayer, but you don't need to. In the moment of temptation, remember the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Help me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Help me. I learned that prayer several years ago, and I have prayed it many times and many times to come. He will give you a way of escape because He's good. So God is so good because He stands by His promises. Number two, because He can't be tempted by evil. But number three, as we draw this to a close, God is so good because He is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. All right, verses 17 through 18 say this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Let me say this quickly. I know the hour is getting long. All right, as we look at this passage, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Let me just say what this means. This means that there's nothing that you have that is good that did not come from God. He's the creator of all things good. And let me give you the flip side of that. Maybe this will help us when we're struggling with sin or we're struggling with uh, tragedy or we're struggling with trials and we look to God and say, God, how could you let this happen? Here's what I want us to understand. God creates everything good, but sin is a tainted version of goodness. So I can literally say that God has created all things, but he didn't create sin because sin is just a tainted version of what he already created. And to blame God for sin would be like blaming God after a, someone baked you fresh biscuits, but you left them out for three days. When the biscuits go stale, you don't blame the one who baked them. You, bake, you blame yourself for not eating them or storing them properly. When God creates things, like the person who baked the biscuits, he creates them good and fresh and, and edible and, and nourishing and edifying. But when we don't use the things that we have for things for the way that God intends for us to use them, when we leave biscuits sitting out for three days, all right, they get hard as a rock. But we don't blame the person who baked them. We blame ourselves. That's sin. Death and disease, all of these things took place after creation. They're a tainted version of the goodness of God. And so we ask God to help us, and there are times where He miraculously intervenes and keeps us from, from certain things. However, there are times where He will allow very painful things to happen, and the reason He does that is because His eyes are on eternity, and He knows that allowing you to go through what you're going through now is the only way to prepare you for what He has for you in eternity. So we need to understand when we talk about the goodness of God, everything you have that is good comes from His hand, and if you have something that's not good, you can't blame God because when he made it, it was good. But it's tainted because of sin. It's tainted because of the curse of man, because of death, because of disease, all a part of this world because of what took place in that garden with Adam and Eve. We were born into that. But praise God because of Jesus Christ, that is not the end. It's not the end. He's going to make all things new. He's going to put those biscuits back in the oven. And they're going to come out fresher than they were the first time. We have to trust in Him and believe that He is good. So let's sum all this up. How would I sum this up? I would say this. Whenever we doubt the goodness of God, we need to take a good, hard look 
at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's when people say to me they're struggling with God being good, I never hear them talking about the cross. What I hear them talking about is some generic God in heaven who has no identity and and who they can't attach any specific things to. Just a generic God who stands above us. But God revealed Himself personally through His Son. And what His Son did, there's not a person in this room who could say was not the greatest example of goodness there ever was. His perfect life, His sacrificial death, his supernatural resurrection, doing all those things for us. And all we have to do is believe, we have to repent, and we have to follow. So what are our takeaways for today? Most of you that have your listening guides can see them. I just want to go through them for just 60 seconds. I want us to, if you take anything away, take away this. First of all, God is not the one tempting you to sin. When you're in the midst of temptation, know that God, he is, he is calling you, beckoning you to righteousness. He's not tempting you to unrighteousness. That's somebody else. That's the, that's the enemy. Secondly, God will bless you if you endure with obedience. There is rewards at the end of the race. Keep running it. And number three, trust in Jesus who has overcome all temptation. I'll just close by saying that. I love a God who I can pray to, who not only created me and knows every hair on my head, but who loved me so much despite my wickedness that He sent His Son to experience everything I have yet without sin. So when I pray to God, I'm not praying to some generic being in the heavens who doesn't know me, who's out of my reach. I'm praying a God who loved me so much that He came to be one of us. And He experienced everything I'm experiencing. He was tempted in the way I'm tempted yet without sin. And He is the one I go to for help. And He is the one that helps me every day to remember that God is so good. Let us pray. Father, again, I I plead with You. In this room, we we need more of a glimpse of Your goodness. I pray You help us to see what only Your Holy Spirit can help us to see. Help us to see Your Word. Help us to know it, to, to glory in it, to be changed by it. If anybody in this room is struggling to know the goodness of God, let the joy and the beauty of the cross shine upon them, Father, at this very moment. And if anyone does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and does not have the promise and the gift of eternal life and does not know you on a personal saving level, Father, I just pray again that you would remove hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. Father, be with us this very day and help us to know and to celebrate that you are good. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen.